Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. Today, Viewpoint on expedition in the West African nation of Cote d'Ivoire. And in Cote d'Ivoire, there is a capital city. It's called Yamoussoukro. And I'm in the company of a member of our global strategy team, which works in partnership with CBH around the world. And uh, his name is Larry Sellers. Larry, bonjour. Bonjour. Comment ça va? And uh, bonjour is a French greeting because here in Cote d'Ivoire, people speak French. That's the uh, official language. Is that right? That's correct. How long have you lived in Cote d'Ivoire? We've been here 22 years now. So does it feel like you know your way around? I think we're starting to feel uh, pretty much at home. (laughs) I think you can navigate. And we are so glad to have you with us today because we are standing in the shadow of what is perhaps the most famous building worldwide in Cote d'Ivoire. What's it called? This is called the Basilica of Our Lady of Peace. How would you say that in French? La Basilique de de Notre-Dame de la Paix. And uh, this is a spectacular uh, house of worship uh, that was consecrated by Pope John Paul II in the year 1990. And it stands in a kind of monumental architecture to, uh, in a way, be a replica of St. Peter's in Rome, although it's actually bigger than St. Peter's. In fact, it's thought to be the largest Christian house of worship in the world. And we're going to walk inside. What do you think? That sounds great. We love to go in anytime we have a chance. It's a beautiful place. It is a spectacular edifice. Stay with us, and we're going to walk you through the columns, the piazzas, the spectacle of this basilica in the heart of West Africa. Approaching this basilica of Notre Dame, Our Lady of Peace, here in Yamasukro, Cote d'Ivoire, is jaw-dropping. There's just no other way to describe it. It's a little bit like going to the Grand Canyon. It is so amazing, its expanse, its beauty, its uniqueness, that it's hard to describe in any way that is adequate. You have to see it for yourself, I suppose. But if I could help you imagine it, first we walk into a great plaza, piazza-like, which is almost a replica of St. Peter's at the Vatican in Rome. And this huge curved colonnade, like you'd imagine at St. Peter's, can encompass a vast crowd of 150,000 people for ceremonial events. And then you walk into a portico itself larger than five or six ordinary church buildings before you enter the basilica itself. The basilica stands on a bit of a knoll that overlooks this city, which is the capital of Cote d'Ivoire, called Yamasucro. A lot could be said about the expense. No one really knows or wants to explain the cost of this building. It's been estimated to be from $150 million U.S. to $600 million U.S., somewhere in between. That's a huge, uh, vast number, of course. And we might argue about whether that was proper and its value in the scope of a hurting world, but whatever else can be said about it, it is absolutely a spectacular property. And I want to take you inside. And when we get inside, I'd like you to hear the voice of Philippe, who is a young 30-something guide here at the uh, Basilica, who himself is a follower of Jesus. And uh, he has all the specs, all the details and the numbers to help you understand how huge, how extraordinary, how once in a world this place really is. Right now, I'm seated inside the Basilica in Yamasukro, 
And with me is Philippe. He has been our guide today, and he knows everything about this building. Philippe, thank you for walking us uh, into this magnificent building. We are so glad to have you. Thank you to, uh, to come to visit us. Uh, I'm very glad to receive you as visitors. And uh, Philippe, you have been giving tours of this building for how many years? Two years. Two years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm going to ask you some questions. <laughs> because when you walk into this space, the first thing I think anyone would do is just go, wow, <laughs> this is a building without peer. Is it true that this basilica, uh, which is a Roman Catholic house of worship, mm-hmm. is larger than St. Peter's in the Vatican? This is a larger dome? The dome is uh, the biggest in the world, not uh, not just bigger than the, the dome of St. Peter, but the biggest dome in the world. So larger than the United States Capitol Dome? Yes. Or St. Paul's in London? I mean, it, yes. it dwarfs all of those famous, iconic buildings, the dome of this basilica. This is the highest basilica in the world. The height is 158 meters. And it, it is 22 meters more than uh, the basilica in Rome, St. Peter. At St. Peter. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's 22 meters. It's a mm-hmm. substantial yes. difference. Mm-hmm. And it's a circle. I mean, the building itself is laid out in the form of a cross. But inside, where we are right now, is circular. Inside, we're seated in these beautiful pews. They're curved to match the contour of the building, and they're made of local wood. Is that right? Yes. And it's beautifully carved. I mean, everything about this building speaks about thoughtfulness and design, about the aesthetic, and also about the meaning. So one of the striking things about this vast expanse, let's just say, inside, in these pews, how many... Thousands of people could be seated. When we give the capacity of this room, we talk about uh, 18,000 people. 18,000 people can be assembled under this dome in this one uh, house of worship in this sanctuary. Outside, if you went, and it has big, vast doors that open up so you can open up to the air. Outside, you could have how many more? A part of the room, which is the main part of the building, we have a square around and the square has a form of cross. On that part of the building, 30,000 people can sit. Outside of the inside. So 18,000 inside Inside. could be assembled. Mm -hmm. Another 30,000 can be under what I'd call the portico that surrounds it. And then there's a big plaza, piazza out front. How many out there? Uh, 150,000 people can stand on this planet because the size is three hectares. So 150,000 people mm-hmm. can be in the plaza, yes. which is the approach to the building. Then 30,000 could be outside under the portico, mm-hmm. and another 18,000 inside. Inside. It's just extraordinary. All right. Apart from the dimensions in the vastness of it, it is finely detailed. So in the room in which I'm seated right now, I see the huge high altar, which would be familiar in its design or its kind of basic contour to anyone who's been to a Catholic church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is very much on the motif of what you might imagine in the Vatican, only it has African uh, touches and flourishes. But the most striking thing about the whole place is the stained glass. I mean, the, the stained glass is the complete wall around the whole room. Yeah. The whole room from floor to ceiling, with the exception of the vast columns, is really stained glass made in France. Yes. Now, this stained glass, every glass window 
tells a story. Is that right? I mean, yes. the detail of this vast space, mm-hmm. yet every compartment of this glass, every square in the deep and rich hues of colors of blues and purples and oranges and reds tells a story. What's the story being told in this stained glass? First, you have to know that um, this kind of stained glasses is made for the churches in the world, but this is the bigger size. The of largest kind of order stain, of stained yes, glass ever. ever. Because we are the 24 stained glasses downstairs uh, represent all the wall of the room. There is not um, concrete as wall. It is only stained glass windows. Twelve among them, the height is 28 meters, and the wide is the same, 11 meters. Twelve others, the height is 21 meters. There, there are some rectangular ones, and other ones are very, uh, very high, 28 meters. Upstairs, there are also 12 other stained glasses dedicated to the 12 apostles. The height of that one is 13 meters high, eight, uh, the wide is 8 meters. And there is a big stained glass upstairs. The, it is a circle. In the center of the dome. In the center right of the dome. Us. And the diameter of that one is 40 meters. There's huge, so huge expanses of glass. And the total size is 7,400 square meters of stained glass windows. 7,400 square meters. meters. A meter, for some in my audience mm. uh, who are not familiar with metric, uh, roughly equivalent to three feet. So just multiply by three and you get the expanse. And what Philippe is describing is this vast dome where there is this center glass piece. Mm -hmm. Then there's a bit of a, like a balcony, a a second tier. Mm -hmm. And above that balcony are Mm -hmm. these huge stained glass windows, each of them alone, larger than anything in most of our churches in North America. And each of those represents the 12 disciples, Uh, the apostles. And then on the main floor where you have this huge height of glass. We actually have the stories of the Bible told. Uh, Each panel discloses some part Uh, of the revelation of God Mm -hmm. in the scripture. They're they're teaching windows, really. If you studied them, you would learn the stories. They're all drawn from the scripture. So we have the wedding feast at Cain of Galilee. Mm -hmm. We have Jonah and the whale. We Mm -hmm. have Jesus ascending uh, to heaven. We have the uh, baptism of Of Jesus Jesus and so on. And each of these windows so vast in their height, I mean, they're equivalent to five and six story buildings, <laughs> has this whole narrative. It's spectacularly beautiful as art, and it's spectacularly meaningful as truth captured. And the design of the building, so thoughtful, starts at the top with this dome. And if you look straight up in hues of blue and purple with some rays of light coming from the center, there is a dove, which in the scripture, of course, represents the Holy Spirit. And the idea being that from the spirits moving in the disciples' lives as they met Jesus, and so in their next tier, you have the 12 apostles, and they're inspired by the Spirit to teach the word, the scripture, which is in the next tier down here at ground level. And you you just have to marvel at the thoughtfulness of the, the design, the concept of a building like this to teach with every glance. Now, Philippe, thank you for showing us so much. But you yourself have been raised a Catholic, but have also uh, grown in some new understanding of yes, Jesus. Yes. And you said you you, as a young man, went to an evangelistic ch- uh, church in, in the context of Cote d'Ivoire, mm-hmm. an evangelique mm-hmm. church. Evangel- what, what was it about that experience 
that grabbed your heart? What did you learn there? Uh, one, uh, it is what uh, I'm touched by the behavior of the two kinds of community. Uh, the, for the Catholic people, we come regularly to church. We, we, do, we respect all the program of the church, but there is no changement about our behavior when we leave the church to go home. But uh, in, the, in the evangelic churches, they, they teach us that it is not, uh, a, to, to follow Jesus is not a religion. It is our behavior, our uh, way to live. So when you go to church, it is not to go to church which is most important, but what you give as love to your friend, what you give as love in your, as love in your environment. You have to, uh, they, they have to see that the Philip of yesterday is, the, is not the same Philip uh, uh, of today. Uh, today. Uh, each day that is you are what, more uh, yes, like Jesus yes. now. That is what I, 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 learned, I learned in the evangelic church, and I like that. We are yeah. so thankful for your guiding us today, Philippe. Thanks for speaking with us on Viewpoint. We are so proud to know you. May the Lord bless you. Thank you very much. Amen. And may God bless you too. Now, can you give us a blessing in the French language? Oh, que Dieu vous bénisse. Et merci d'être passé nous voir et que la faveur de Dieu vous accompagne. It means that uh, thank you to come to see us and may the favor of God accompany you uh, everywhere you go. I thank you, Philippe. Larry Sellers, thanks for walking me into this building. And as I walk out, I know you've been here before, but my first visit, there's only one thing I can say about it. It's just jaw-dropping. It is a spectacular building. Uh, honestly, with few peers in the whole world, and I've been a lot of places. Where did it come from? Who dreamed this up? This was, I think, the dream from uh, a long life of devotion and service by the first president of Côte d'Ivoire. His name was President Félix Houphouët-Boigny, and uh, he served this country from the time of uh, independence in 1960 until his passing in 1993. And uh, he is well-loved by the people in this country, but he was also a man of deep devotion to God, and uh, he felt like a way he could memorialize that devotion uh, in this country was by building uh, this huge edifice to encourage people to worship and to recognize the awesome grandeur and power of God. Cote d'Ivoire, as we know it today, of course, was once uh, a French colony. And so the French language and French culture uh, left a profound imprint here. And uh, this first president grew up in that colonial age. And as I understand it, in 1960, when the uh, Avorians voted to become independent and separate from the French Republic. He still had a kind of affinity for uh, French culture and so on. And this, this building reflects some of that. I mean, it has a European flavor, even as it has some African motifs. And I'm hearing you say that he wanted to create a monument to remind his country of its legacy in faith. Even though there are more Muslims than Christians in Cote d'Ivoire, still there's a substantial population, a substantial Catholic community here. And so you think this building was all born out of that experience and his, his uh, commitment to that faith. I, that's my understanding. We weren't here at the time, so it's what I've heard and learned, read about, that uh, 
I would say yes, he, he was a man of, of deep faith that uh, is reflected in every part of this building. And it's my understanding that uh, the building has been deeded to the Vatican, and uh, this was during the 1980s it was constructed, and uh, the Vatican at first was uh, wanted to demure a little bit, but in the end uh, said, we'll receive this gift if you'll also package it with a hospital. So right adjacent to the Basilica is a large hospital, which is just now opening up. Is that right? That's correct. It's just been in the last two years or so that the, hosp the Catholic hospital uh, here in Yamasuko has begun to function. Uh, it's still under construction in some areas, uh, but is uh, seeking to make an impact on the people's physical needs in a very needy area of central Cote d'Ivoire as well. A ministry of uh, life at the hospital. And in Cote d'Ivoire, there's a lot of communicable disease, uh, accidents and all kinds of things, so underserved in a way by, uh, you might say, the developed world's medical standards. And so to create a hospital here is no small thing. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Anyone who visits the Basilica cannot walk away and say they were unimpressed. <laughs> Whatever you might think about its construction or its uh, grandeur, you'd have to say, once in a world. Gracious, slow to anger, Abounding in love, good to all All who call upon you You will rescue and forgive This is why I live You live the life I could never live the death of the latter, you rose to life, and now you live. That's how you forgive me in your mercy. I'm unworthy of your love, and I'm running back to all I have in you, my gracious.
standing in the portico of the basilica here in Yamasukro. My mind is racing with all kinds of thoughts, emotions, questions, and wonder. The building is spectacular, and it has been crafted with precision, and the architect, and the stained glass, and the conception, and the engineering of it all are just astonishing and bear witness to the capacity of, of humankind to develop something beautiful and in a way perfectly. But I also have to wonder about this edifice standing on the plain as it does in the center of Cotova in a country that suffers so much materially and in other ways. Because this is a country where almost 60% of the population is under the age of 24 and 38% of the population is under the age of 14. And while there's a certain youthful vigor and dynamic in a population demographic like that, it's also consequent to the fact that life expectancy here is low. If you're born in Cotova, you probably will not live past your 57th birthday. That compares with 89-year life expectancy in Japan, for instance. So you can see that there is a cost to living here. There are communicable diseases that are not ravaging other countries, but they still ravage Cote d'Ivoire. The AIDS epidemic has claimed so many lives and in some ways a generation in this country. There are so many issues of poverty which go hand in hand with communicable disease and, and public health and so on. And then you think of this building and its cost and, and what might be done otherwise and then you wonder what would Jesus do? It's hard to know and I, I don't mean to make any judgments but as a pastor in the United States for many years I remember wrestling with building church buildings in my own country even though there were not the same desperate public health issues there. That said, as I have been standing here in the portico, my mind has raced to a passage in the Old Testament. First Samuel chapter 15, it tells the story of King Saul, a man who was framed by his faith, a man who loved God as he began his reign, a man who was chosen by God to reign over the Hebrews. But as Saul progressed in his tenure as king, his heart became more hardened and he began to veer away from doing what God wanted, even though he maintained the veneer of his faith and religiosity. And in a seminal moment, the prophet Samuel, who had anointed him to be king and who was still in close communion with God, confronts him after Saul had not exactly obeyed what God asked him to do. And Saul tried to defend himself by saying, well, I did some great things for God and look at all the sacrifices I've brought. And in a way, he, he was saying, you know, this altar, this architecture, this gift is bearing witness to my devotion, but it's not what God wanted from Saul. And so famously, Samuel says this in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. Listen, Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. It's a very sobering challenge that Saul receives there from Samuel. I'm not here to say the Basilica is of a parallel experience. I just don't know. But I know as I make choices in my own life about how I invest my resources, my time, my energy, my money, I want to be sure that I'm doing so obedient to God. And Jesus came into this world to preach the good news to the poor. He came so that the captive could be set free and sight restored to the blind, so that the oppressed could be liberated to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The stained glass in the basilica tells that story. But I wonder if the story might also be told, and maybe better told, in a village where there is some life-giving medicine provided, where the name of Jesus is elevated in the way in which there is human touch, 
in the way in which fresh water is brought through a well, in the way in which the economy is turned around and transformed. Maybe it's not an either-or, maybe it's both, but for each of us today, and as I stand here outside this magnificent building, I want to ask myself the question, when my life is done, when my catalog of investments are made, I pray, Lord, that I will have been obedient to you, and I ask your wisdom as I invest my money, my time, and my life. I want to follow Jesus, and I want to be in the shadow and footsteps of Jesus. What would Jesus do is a question that we all must still ask day by day. It's a question I'm asking today outside the Basilica at Yamasukro, wherever you are in life today. Maybe you're facing a decision. Should I invest in this or in that? Should I build this or build that? Should I spend here or spend there? What should I do? I promise you, God has a will for you, and he has a will for what he has placed in your hands. Ask him, and he will direct you. And when he impresses you, be obedient, because he understands what needs to be done in ways you cannot. And in that obedience, you will give the sacrifice of yourself, and that is well-pleasing to God. Jesus did the same. He laid down his life. He might have chosen to try and please God in a different way, but he laid down his life. He gave his life's blood that we might live. May we do the same. May we follow in his way. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today that you know us by name, and we're thankful for the gift of art and architecture, which can tell stories, and we're thankful that you place in our hands resources with which to make this world a better place. But don't let us be deceived, Lord. Just because something's beautiful doesn't mean it's right. And just because something is magnificent doesn't mean it's what you asked us to do. May each of us, day by day, make our choices based on the still, small voice of your Holy Spirit prompting us to do your will. May we surrender our lives into the hands of Jesus, being made new, redeemed by his blood, born again. And as we are, may we, one day at a time and over a lifetime, make our sacrifice that of obedience. I ask, Lord, that each of us might leave a footprint, a legacy, that will be remembered for the way in which it reflected not our ambition, but Jesus. Thank you for the privilege of being here. And thank you for each one who has joined us on air. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about this Jesus who can speak, about this God who has plans and purposes that we can obey, well, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It's a toll-free call. We want to hear from you. You can also check us out online. Our website is CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, cbhviewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry there. You can also send us an email. We will reply. Or if you prefer, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But whether you reach out by phone, check us out online, or send me a letter by post, let us hear from you. And if you'd like, ask how you might help Cote d'Ivoire, because we have all kinds of ways in which we can help bridge you to ministries that are in the villages and the small burgs and towns all across this vast land where life is given in Jesus' name. You can be a partner with us in that too. Call, go online, write. For all of us at the Viewpoint team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, thanks for being with us. Merci beaucoup. From French-speaking Côte d'Ivoire, stay tuned. <laughs>